Please be seated. And if you open your Bibles to Isaiah 43, we will be looking at verses 14 through 21. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's found on page 719. Merry Christmas. Thank you. That's great. Um, this is a fun time for us. We as a church have been going through a sermon series focused on God with us, the idea of Emmanuel who has come to be among his people. And we've looked at how does that affect uh, the way that he looks at our sin and how does that affect the way that we have hope and joy. And this morning we're looking at how does that affect God being with us? Where does that take us? Does God give us a new path? Does God give us sort of a new perspective? Where is God taking us and taking the world? So that's what we're looking at this morning. And I want to give you some context as we read this passage. This passage is set for the people of God as they are captive in Babylon. So read what God's promises to these captives as we look at Isaiah 43, 14 through 21. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we recognize that there is darkness in this world, that there is sin, that there is wickedness, and yet there in your word says that you are the light. You are the light that overcomes the darkness, that you have come to be with us despite our sin. We pray this morning as we hear from your word that we are encouraged to go forth and, and look for the ways in which you are working in this world and in our lives, that we can look for the ways in which the light is overcoming the darkness. In your name, amen. Do you remember the hope you had for Christmas as a child? It was mostly gifts, right? Like that was the kind of the big hope of the season of either I, whatever I ask for, I'm either going to get a lot of gifts or maybe one big gift, but I'm going to get gifts. And you had that hope. And as a child, weren't you excited for the cookies and the baked goods and, and all the food you got to eat? You got and had this hope of like, oh, we're going to have such good food. And you also had this hope of, of relatives coming into town, of aunts and uncles and cousins, and your house was filled, and it was a constant chaos of fun, of anyone would play a board game with you or watch the football game with you. And there was the excitement of getting off of school, right? Of like, you get like a week or two with little to no homework, and you just got to play with your new toys and hang out with your friends. And then adulthood hits. And the gifts aren't as great. You kind of get nose hair trimmers. It's, it's not as fun. Um, the, the food kind of catches up with you a little bit where you don't get to eat as many cookies as you want. The relatives come in and you're kind of like, I like my space. I kind of like my home to have enough bedrooms for everyone. And the time off of work isn't as long and doesn't feel like you can do whatever you want whenever you want. 
So that hope that you used to have is kind of diminished because you see the reality of life. You see even maybe some dark parts of the holiday season where you remember those relationships that aren't going well. And this seems to happen with our Christian faith, too. When we first become Christians, or maybe you've met a new Christian, you see the excitement, the hope that they have. They're, they're willing to share the gospel with anyone and everyone, even if to the point of annoyance. And they have this hope, and they look at every good thing that happens in their life as if it was from God. I just got my tax return back, and God has blessed me. And they have this hope that, that for the rest of their lives, their lives are going to go well because God is with them. And then that nagging sin that they thought would go away doesn't. And that gospel that they share with non-believers doesn't seem to be taking hold like it should. And they join a church, and the church seems to have as much joy and as much hope as the rest of the world. What they felt and experienced when they first became a Christian seems distant and not so real anymore. The hope they had is gone. So what is the right perspective? What does God say? Should we have sort of the naive, like, everything's going to be great kind of perspective, or we, should we be realistic and say, no, like, our lives are kind of like the rest of the world. It isn't that great. Well, actually, in this passage, what God is saying to us this morning is to expect the unexpected, expect the impossible, have hope this season that is bigger and greater than what you can potentially believe could happen because what God is doing for us, not just in the finite things, but in the internal, what God is encouraging us to do is to see him at work in the world and in our lives, not because we're going to pretend that everything is okay. The world is dark and the world is evil and the world is wicked. But God is the light that overcomes that darkness. And we get to experience and see that light when we are with him. But first, we have to start with the darkness. We have to start with the reality that the world is dark. So are you ready for a brief history lesson this morning? Where are we at in the story is a very dark time for the people of God. Now, rewind a few years, a couple hundred years, and, and the kingdom is united. The God's kingdom, one nation, is under the rule of David. Now, David is this king where basically for the rest of Scripture, they highlight David as the king, as the good one, as the one that is like the, the one we should be the example of. Now, David doesn't live life perfectly, but he's still highlighted to that point. And even though David is this great king, even though he's the one who rules Israel and has this promise and covenant from God, just two generations later, David's grandson is going to turn his kingdom upside down. And he's actually going to cause the kingdom to go into a civil war and split in two between the northern kingdom, which is Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is Judah. Now, the northern kingdom basically reigns for 200 years and basically has no good kings. It's bad king after bad king after bad king. And eventually, they're taken over by the Assyrians. Now, the southern kingdom is actually kind of bounced back and forth between good king, bad king, good king, bad king. And Isaiah shows up on the scene, and he's a prophet from God, and he's warning the kings as warnings from God. And what Isaiah says to the kings is, listen, don't make alliances with other nations. Don't put your security and trust and hope in the things of this world. Trust God alone. He will protect you. Don't make alliances. Don't make alliances. Don't make alliances. Now, what do you think the kingdom did? Made alliances. And eventually those alliances break, and eventually they're taken over by the Babylonians. 
And not only are they taken over, not only are they held captive in their own land and treated as slaves, but they're actually removed from their homes and taken to Babylon. They're removed as exiles. And what's going to happen is they're going to be stuck in Babylon, and they don't know it for 70 years. They're going to be captives. They're going to be slaves. They're going to be in exile. And it's during this passage, it's during this period that we actually get this prophecy from Isaiah. This is, this is the prophecy for this group of people. So if we ask the question, where is the darkness in these people's lives, what would you say? I just have to mention the words slaves and captives and exiles, and you get a picture of what's going on. Every single morning, they wake up and they see the darkness all around them. They don't get to do whatever they want whenever they want. No, they're actually told what they're supposed to do. And anything that they produce, anything they do is done for a master. And they are slaves, and they are treated as objects. They are treated not even as people. And not only that, they're not in their homeland where they have their food, and they have their culture, and they have their their language, but they're actually taken to the Babylonians in which that starts to diminish and fade, and they can't see who they are anymore, but instead they become like the Babylonians, and instead they're taken over and abused and used. And no doubt some of them are put to the sword. And God sees the wickedness. God sees the darkness. He hears the blood crying out. He hears the injustices, and he says, it will not be this way forever. And he promises to the people, I'm going to snuff it out. And now the people are right to say that there is darkness and there is sin and there is wickedness all around them and they're calling out to God. But before they can start pointing out all the sins and wickedness of Babylon, God has a question for them. And we didn't read this part of the passage, but I want you to look with me at verses at the end of 24 and then skip to 26. It says this, And this is actually God talking to his people. But you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. Review the past for me. Let us argue this matter together. State the case for your innocence. See, it would be tempting for them, for God's people, to point out all the darkness around them. But what God says to them is, yes, there is darkness surrounding you. No doubt about it, there is wickedness, and I'm going to take care of it. There is darkness, but there's darkness in your hearts as well. Because it was not that long ago that the people of God had slaves of their own. And it was not that long ago that the people of God were actually executing and sacrificing their own children to false gods. They were abusing, and they had taken captive, and they had done what is evil and wicked. So our initial reaction and their initial reaction to God hearing that he's going to snuff out all wickedness is rejoicing, but it should quickly turn to fear and trembling because God is saying to them, what about you? And he says that to us this morning. What about you? Because we live in a world that is broken and dark and wicked, and we can see and look and see it all around us. Alex Borgerian is a reporter for the NBC station in Savannah, Georgia. And just last Saturday, she was covering a race live on the air. And as she was covering the race, uh, of course, having a live camera with a bunch of people running by, having a good time, what do people do? They start acting goofy, right? So some people were jumping in front of the camera. Some people were waving. Some people were shouting to their family. And as one male runner ran by, he took his hand and he slapped her behind and continued to race by. 
You could tell by the look on Alex's face the shock and horror of what just took place. And she said later of the incident, he violated, objectified, and embarrassed me. What it comes down to is he helped himself to part of my body. Even with the raising awareness of, of sexual harassment in this world, even with the Me Too movement, even with everything that we say is that you should keep your hands to yourself and, and you shouldn't use other people, and yet there still is this instance. There, and this isn't just the only one. There's things that have happened in your life where you go, why did this happen to me? And maybe it wasn't in a, in a context such as this, but there's context in which you look around and you go, I was objectified. I was used, whether it's in your job where someone used you as a stepping stone, whether it's family members who have lied to you, whether it's friends who have betrayed you. You look around and you say, I, I, I've been abused, I've been used, and there's wickedness. And, it, and it's no doubt that's true. Now, because we live in a social media age, the man was quickly identified. And his name is Thomas Calloway. And Thomas Calloway is a youth leader in his church. Now, when I found this out, I, I kind of went into the mode of hoping that he wasn't on paid staff. He was just a volunteer. And I, and I looked up the denomination to see how close, what, is, what do they believe? Do they believe what we believe? But you know what I was doing in that moment. I was trying to distance myself from him, distance myself from his sin, and basically say his sin is worse than mine. But what did God say to me in that moment and throughout this week? You have burdened me with your sin and wearied me with your offenses. State your case for innocence. There's no denying that what Thomas Calloway did is evil and wicked and dark. We have done what is evil, wicked, and dark. Because if you have ever looked lustfully at another person, couldn't the same be described of you? That you have violated, objectified, and embarrassed them. And you might say, yeah, but I didn't touch them. It's okay to look, but not touch. But recognize, be honest with what we've done in our hearts, is you took a person made in the image of God and made them not equal to you, but below you. We have turned them into objects to be used for our gratification. Ultimately, we, we place ourselves in a position actually above God because what God says is, I want to use this person for my glory, and instead we say, no, 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 they are now my creation. They are to be used for my glory, not the way that God intended. What it comes down to is we've helped ourselves to part of their bodies. So what would you say to God if he says to you, state your case for innocence? How would you defend yourself? Would you point to all the wickedness in the world? Or is there a different approach that God is encouraging us to take? What God is encouraging us to do this morning is not just see the sin of the world, it's there, but also to see the sin in our own hearts. Babylon was evil and wicked. God's people were evil and wicked. Thomas Calloway is evil and wicked. You and I are evil and wicked. So when we're tempted to hoist someone's sin up in the spotlight or to God and say, look, God, what they're doing, we need to take our sin at the same time to him because wickedness cannot stand and it needs to be accounted for. But knowing that there's darkness in the world isn't enough. It doesn't make it all better. We actually need something to overcome the darkness and that is the light of God. 
Because what is the promise in this story? It is that God sees the darkness, but the darkness will not be forever. Darkness and evil will not win. They will not remain, but God will overcome it. And what is the reason that God overcomes the wickedness in this passage? Is it because the people suddenly become good and better? No. Why does God overcome the evil and darkness? Because he is light, and it's because it is who he is. Because of God alone, he is going to be the thing that brings forth light in the darkness. Because there's actually a reference to what God has done in the past for his people in this passage. Did you catch it? It's verse 16. Look back there. It says, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, path through the mighty waters. This is actually in reference to what God has already done in the past for his people. He has rescued them. They were slaves in Egypt. And what he did was he brought them to the Red Sea. He rescued them from Egypt. And he made a path through the Red Sea so that they may walk to freedom. So they may get away from the darkness into the light. And God crushed their enemies. And what this passage is actually saying is that God rescuing is part of his character. It is who he is. It is what he does. And he's going to rescue them here. And he's going to rescue them again. And he's going to rescue them again. And he's going to rescue them again. This is what God does. He is a rescuer. And the Christmas story is one of rescue and of God's light and of God being with us. Because if you actually remove God from the Christmas story, what do you have? very dark story indeed. You have an unwed young mother who is about to give birth, and she's going to give birth in a stable, not in a place of glory or splendor, but in a place that is used to feed and house animals. And not only that, but she's treated almost as an exile because she's not giving birth in her hometown, but she's actually taken out of there and sent to a foreign place. And eventually in the story, you will hear of a king who goes to slaughter innocent children because he is a jealous king. You take God out of the story. It's incredibly dark. But what brings light to the story? Is it a change of situation, a change of scene? It's God alone. God comes into the story, and what was made to be a place of darkness and sadness is now brought forth life. An unwed mother, a stable, a wise man is now made into a place where we look and we say, look at the light, look at the glory, look at the splendor. That's why we put in our fireplace mantles is we say, this is something beautiful to look at. And the only reason why it's beautiful is because of God being there. And this is the same with the cross, is the cross that Christ is going to take is supposed to be meant for a place of darkness, of criminals, of gore, and of blood, and of shame, of, to be something that separates the person on the cross from the rest of humanity. And it is dark, and it is wicked, but what overcomes the darkness and the wickedness of the cross? It's the light of the world. It's the one who hangs upon it. It's God himself. The light is overcoming the darkness. And it's not just because of what he did, but of who he is and who he is to us. He's our rescuer. And it's not just light in these stories. It's not just the light of the Exodus. It's not the light of them being saved from Babylon. It's not the light of Christmas, the light of the cross. It's light in this world as well right now for us, for us personally in our hearts. Because you might feel like you're in a dark place this morning. You might feel like you look around and all you see is a manger. You see nothing. You see nothing of value in your life. You feel like there's darkness. 
And there might be instances in your life where you're, you feel like there's darkness in relationships where you can't understand each other, you can't communicate, and you can't talk to each other, and, and there's darkness in there, and, and you feel like there's people who are coming to attack you who, who's trying to take you down, and there's darkness there as well. So what is going to be the thing that overcomes the darkness of your life? Is it a change of situation? Is it that the relationship gets better? Is it that you feel like you own more things? Is it because people stop attacking you? No. It's God coming in and being the light that overcomes the darkness. God is with you. God is present. He is here right now, and he's coming to say, call out to me. I will be the light that overcomes the darkness of your life. Now, how does this actually happen? Because, because we have to understand what does this mean for us? What do we do? And, and let me ask you another question, which will seem rather silly, but how often do you turn lights on? in your house? Is it just kind of around Christmas and Easter? Is it just a few times a month, particularly on Sundays? Or is it every day? It's every day, of course. Every day there's darkness in your home, and every day you need to turn on the light to overcome the darkness. And this is the same with our lives. Is every day there's darkness in our life. Every day there's going to be sin in our life, and every day we need the light of God to overcome it. And that is why he says, I am the light of the world, and I'm Emmanuel, God with you. I will be with you. And we get to call out to God daily in prayer saying, God, I need your light to overcome the darkness of my life. And God not only says that, but he says, I have given you a lamp. I have given you a flashlight to overcome the darkness on your path, to see a way forward, to see what I'm doing, to see how I'm overcoming the sin and darkness. This is a promise to us where God says, come, look, read my word, see what I've said to you, write, see the love letters that I've written you to see how the darkness is being overcome by my light. Because every day there's going to be darkness and sin in our lives, and we need God's light to overcome it. And God comes into our lives, and I want to make sure that this is very clear, that God comes into our lives not to encourage us to ignore the darkness. No, he says the darkness is there, and we can be honest, the darkness is there. But he comes to say, I'm going to overcome it. It will not always be this way. I am with you. I am the God who rescues and saves. So what do we do now? We actually get to experience this light. We get to actually see it overcoming the darkness. Because look at verse 19. It says this, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? The people of God are told to look for what God is doing in their lives, to look for something bigger than themselves, to have hope in the God above and the people of God don't know it at the time, but they're actually going to return home from the exile. They're going to be rescued, and the temple of God is going to be rebuilt again. And during that rebuilding, you're going to see old men weeping because of the glory and the splendor and the light of God. They're going to be rescued. Can they perceive it? And there's probably times in your life where you can look back and see how God has worked through it where it was a dark time in your life, and you're like, I didn't see it then, but I, I see it now. I see how God was working through those dark times, how God was, oh, God's light was overcoming the darkness. And you didn't perceive it at the time, but you perceive it now. You saw what God was doing and what he did. But God doesn't just work back then. He's working now. And what God is saying to you this morning is, 
I am doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? it, It's a call to look in our lives for God's work, for God's light. I love doing ministry because every time that I meet with someone, I get to perceive, I get to look, I get to try to get a glimpse of what God is doing, to see God's light even in the midst of darkness. That seventh grade boy who is obnoxious and and ate way too much candy and sewed on a retreat, I get to look at him and go, will he be my pastor in the future? Will he be the one to bring forth a church that will rise up and call new Christians? I get to look at that young couple who I'm, who's having marital problems and say, will this be the couple? Will this be the one that years down the road, I will meet another couple who's going through the exact same thing, who needs to hear words of encouragement, hear words of light, and I get to call that couple and say, remember that dark time. I need you to be light to these people now. And I get to perceive and look every Sunday morning and see a church that is growing in hope and joy and light, and a church that is being called to go out and to share that light and share that good news with their co-workers and with their spouses and with their friends. And I get to be encouraged because even though there's times of darkness where they come back and say, no one's listening to me, <laughs> I get to say, well, what is God doing? Where is his light being shown in the darkness? Do you perceive it as well? Do you take time to look for what God is doing in your life? And maybe it's slow. Maybe it's small ways. Maybe it's not this grandiose idea, but it's, it's, this, it's this thing where you can say, I see God's light, and it's overcoming the darkness. When we start to look for the light of God, not at the darkness that surrounds us, we will begin to see crazy, bold things that God is doing with us and for us. He might use us in a way that the world calls foolish or hard or difficult or impossible, but you perceive it. You see what God is doing, and because you are looking at the light, you are looking at God. And this is the radical hope of Christmas, of God, of the gospel, that God is the light that is overcoming the darkness. And he is saying to you, look for it. See it. See that I am at work. So what is God doing in your life that you need to see? What is he preparing you for or working on you for? Our denomination is actually calling for 1% of our members to go out and be foreign missionaries in the coming years. Is that you? Has God been working on you? Is God saying to you, listen, I I want you to give up everything, and I actually want you to sort of live as an exile in a foreign land, sharing the hope of my light and of the gospel? Is he, is he calling you to take people in? We live in a culture that, that kind of discourages hospitality because it seems weird, but is he, is he encouraging you to say, bring people into your home, call other believers to encourage them, and, and call non-believers to come in to see the light of Christ, to call them to salvation? Is, is, he, is he calling you to share the gospel more boldly at work and, and at the store and with your friends, <laughs> even though even though the darkness comes and someone says, no, he, the light's still there. God is still the light overcoming the darkness. Look and perceive the light of Christ this season and see what God is doing in your life. As we conclude, this is the part of the sermon where I encourage you to wish for something greater than gifts this year. But it's not wishing. It's hope. 
And it's not hope based on an imaginary fairy tale, but it's hope based on the firm truth of God, of what God has done, what he has promised to do, what he is doing now. And, the, and, and it's true, the darkness is all around us. There is sin all around us. There's wickedness all around us. There's darkness in our own hearts. There's sin in our own hearts where we are going to do things that actually spread darkness in this world instead of light. But the light of God overcomes all the darkness, the darkness outside of you and the darkness within you, and it's going to continue to overcome it. So let us be messengers of that light to the world. St. John's Properties in Baltimore hit a major milestone. They are a real estate property management team, and they were able to acquire 20 million square feet of space in their real estate portfolio worth $3.5 billion. And at their holiday party, they were able to announce this good news. And they told everyone, we are going to give you all red envelopes. So hold on to those red envelopes. And as the people got the red envelopes, once everyone had one, they said, all right, now open them. And you could tell by the look of shock on the employees' faces that something big had taken place. And that big thing that had been taken place was they were told their Christmas bonuses. And the average Christian, or sorry, the average Christmas bonus for those people was $50,000 for a total of $10 million given away in Christmas bonuses this year. And you could see people in the video crying and laughing and a lot of them saying, I'm going to be out of debt for the first time. These employees, though, didn't perceive what was going on. Even, even though they worked in the company, even though they worked day in and day out and saw the success of the company, they didn't know how the success of the company correlated with their lives, what it meant for them. Let that not be in our relationships with God. Let us see what God has done and what God's doing and say, wait a second, great things are happening and they're going to happen in my life as well. Let us not be shocked when, when God is at work, but instead be able to say, of course my relationships got better. Of course my life got better. Of course the church is growing. Of course I have more joy because God is at work and the light is overcoming the darkness. God is working. God is moving. God is present and he is encouraging us to see his work. Hope for something greater than you've ever imagined because God is doing a new thing and it now springs forth in our lives and in the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is hard to hear about your life when we feel like there's so much darkness, when we feel like there's so much sin, whether it's sin caused by us, whether it's sin caused against us, whether we just look and read the news and see the sin that is caused in the world. It is hard to believe that anything can overcome it. But that is the glory of who you are. And what you do is that you rescue and you are the light that has overcome the darkness. You have come to be with us, not just at the Christmas season, but every day of every year, that when the darkness comes, we can call out to you and call out for the light to overcome the darkness in our lives. We pray that we do that, that we do it boldly, and we do it with hope. We do it with hope, with this belief that you can do the impossible, that you rescued your people from exile, and you rescue us today. Let us have hope this season, and let us be light of that hope, lights of that hope to the world. In your name, amen.